Hello, everyone. Uh, today's episode will be different than usual. Uh, we got tremendous news, tremendously sad news uh, this past week that Chef Brian Kaywork of the Culinary Institute of America, uh, teaching chef at American Bounty, uh, passed away. And it has been felt uh, and just been tremendously hard uh, by everyone in this community of grads and students and chefs who worked with Chef K work and just people who look up to him and who he's impacted. Uh, Chef K work was someone who was super selfless with his time. He was someone who was very knowledgeable about local food systems. He was very passionate about local food systems, about the success of the next generation of chefs. And to lose him in this industry is just a tremendous loss. Uh, I never had Chef Kaywork as a chef per se at school, but when myself and a couple of students were trying to get a community garden started at the school, he was the first faculty member to show up and help us, or first chef, I should say. And he actually was the first person out on a Saturday morning, uh, you know, tilling soil with us and, you know, giving us guidance on how to exactly plant the vegetables that I have been planting because, you know, I had no idea what how to actually do it. And he was such a great guide, but just to be out there on a Saturday and, you know, on his hands and knees, just tilling soil and helping us with the garden was amazing. And then uh, just what this podcast is, it's a re-upload of the interview I had with him back in early 2019. I started Line Cook Thoughts and within less than three months, Chef was a guest on the podcast, just believing in the brand and taking time out of his day to come talk about his food career, giving advice, giving insight, and just sharing the importance of, you know, cooking and what it means for him to teach and what it's meant for him to be someone impactful in his career. Uh, so many people were, were just devastated by this news. I was devastated. Um, I'm not going to lie. It took me a couple of times to record this. And, you know, just before, you know, obviously going on, uh, Chef shared a quote on Line Cook Thoughts and January 25th of 2019. I just wanted to read it because I thought it was so interesting, his mindset of being a mentor and student. So this is Chef uh, This is chef basically talking about mentorship. And after this, we'll get into the show, but I did want to read this real quick. This is what he said. Our industry is built upon a mentor-mentee experience. It is built into our heritages as chefs, and I have always enjoyed having mentors. Somehow the risk that I was taking did not seem so daunting. The obstacles did not seem as difficult. And I could take solace in the fact that someone had shared my experiences. To hit a point in my journey where I can teach what I have learned to the next generation is a tremendous experience. I just dig it. I love the optimism, the ideals, the hunger, the drive of the students. This isn't meant to be a Pollyannish outlook about the trials that wait for the students during their careers. However, I occupy a unique place in their careers. I am in their lives to deepen their abilities, fortify their resolve, and strengthen their love for this craft. For me, this part of their careers is the most important. It will literally carry them through the tough times. I'm a lucky guy to be a part of it all. Uh, so just wanted to say, uh, you know, thank you, Chef, for the impact you've had on us all, for believing in the next generation. And just, you know, just words aren't enough to share how much of an impact you've had and uh, the amount of people you've impacted. So uh, also before we begin, I just wanted to say that this is just a re-upload of this interview. Uh Allison Gannon and Natalie Rudd are actually putting together uh, a project to commemorate Chef. So if you have any 
stories or ways he impacted you, um, you can either record uh, via audio or you can send in written word. We're going to read it on a podcast. Uh, Natalie's working on a project to send his impact uh, to Chef's family. Uh, so please reach out to them. It's uh, The emails are natalierudd at yahoo.com or allisongannon11 at gmail.com or obviously you can email linecookthoughts at outlook.com. Please let us know if you want to be a part of this and just Chef K-Work, just thank you so much for the work you did, the impact you had. And uh, like I said, the, the food industry uh, truly is missing a great leader, mentor, and just all around great person. So thank you, Chef. Hey, Chef. How's it going? Hi, Ray. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, it's always great to have people who kind of mentored you or at least you know i looked up to you in a way at school so thank you for joining yeah i think you're doing great stuff with this um, i'm honored to be thank you if you just want to give you know everyone just a brief like background of like what you do now like your role or your job per se and like kind of just let everyone everyone know what you're involved in sure my name is uh chef brian k work i'm currently a lecturing instructor at the culinary institute of america the class I teach is one of our public restaurants. I am um, at American Bounty Restaurant. It's one of the last cooking classes or really any class that the students go through for the associate's degree. It's exciting, fun, great to be part of. And most of the students are really into it because you finally get to go live and, uh, you know, and that's, that's exciting to be working towards. Um, just the, the restaurant itself kind of, you know, it's regional American cooking uh, with a, you know, through the lens of, of, you know, localized purchasing and, and good sourcing. And um, yeah, that's what, that's what I do. And located in the Hudson Valley, uh, how is it sourcing food from the area? Um, well, I mean, I'll answer that in a long winded way. Um, I, I graduated here in 02 and then, I am not originally from this area, but I came to really um, fall in love with working in this area. And so I really was interested in getting to know uh, about the ingredients of the area. So for okay. me, coming to the school in American Bounty, I kind of have um, an accumulative amount of years of working with local stuff. So I find it um, pretty easy finding what I'm looking for, but it's because I've been doing it for a while. Awesome. Great. So, uh, where are you from originally? Originally from New Jersey. Um, okay. I did have a decent amount of moving around during my childhood, especially like middle school age. Uh, my father was in telecommunications when cell phones and well, when beepers were beepers and then it moved to cell phones. <laughs> and he kind of was just at that time where, um, he just moved a lot, you know, and, and, good things were coming his way and we as a family followed him obviously. And um, so there were some stints in Georgia. There were some stints in um, Virginia as well. Um, but, but home base, home base for me and my childhood and what I remember of my, you know, what I attribute to my childhood is mostly New Jersey. All right. Awesome. And is it Taylor ham or pork roll? Oh, it's definitely Taylor ham. Taylor ham. All right. Yeah. You might have some listeners angry at you at that, but. I listen, I'm not trying to offend, but if you have to choose, you have to choose. It's Taylor Hannah. That's how I was raised. It's not meant to slight anybody, but, you know, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, great. There's winners yeah, and losers. 
So, uh, what was food like growing up? Like getting those different experiences and moving around. Um, I mean, truth be told, my family, uh, you know, my parents, I wouldn't really consider them um, seeking great food. You know, like I certainly enjoyed everything at the time, but it was pretty basic. I mean, they had. Looking back now, I can be like, you know, put my academic hat on and analyze how it came to, to be that I was eating what I was eating. But I basically had a suburban life. And, okay. you know, my grandparents, one side, they were from Kansas. So they had a very, you know, and Kansas being, if you go back far enough, then you're dealing with the Dust Bowl. And, you know, you're dealing with a very meat and potatoes kind of sensibility on one side of my family. And then the other side of my family, my dad's side, my grandfather was Armenian. Uh, he married into, um, he married somebody who was, you know, I guess you could say he kind of Americanized himself. So we didn't eat Armenian food, but we definitely had a lot of Greek and Middle Eastern influences at, at family events. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of nothing. I mean, it was very special to me, but I don't look back and have a lot of moments where it's like, um, profound. Although I do have a very good palate for feta cheese, that that one that one came about for sure. Awesome. Moving around and trying and being in different areas, you know, you're not really paying attention to stuff like that in middle school. You know, you just care about yeah. like who who's gonna mess with you and what girl likes you, and you know, like you're not food. Food was not something that I was. It's not like it is now. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it it just wasn't. You just kind of did your thing. Um, but I did like food. I remember taking a home ec class, um, around middle school and coming home saying I wanted to be a chef and, and, and I didn't really think much of it. I just knew I liked cooking. Um, and that was probably the earliest glimpse into, you know, what could be later, I guess. And so is that how you kind of got into the cooking is through your home ec class or? (laughs) No, not really. You know, I think, it's a long and curvy road. You know, I would love to say that I was tugging on my grandma's apron while she was making gnocchi or something like that. It, it just wasn't like that for me. You know, it, it was, um, you know, I got into cooking. I, so I liked it. And I liked it in that middle school age. And I kind of, you know, I liked cooking through high school, but nothing was, it, I never, it never felt like I was gearing, gearing up for a career. And then it kind of gets put to the wayside. And then I go through college. I I went to college previously. So I have an exercise science degree. And um, I really was just living for surfing at the time. So most of my late teens, early 20s, um, I moved to California. And I'm just kind of living kind of a surfing lifestyle. And, um, you know, after a while, you start to just want, uh, for me, I started to get to my middle 20s and just said, Uh, Well, you know, I can't make money from this, so I need to figure out what's a passion of mine. And, um, you know, just through a lot of looking back at what always was around in my life, cooking seemed to be it. And I just dipped my toe in the pool. I just, I was already a a server. I had been a server my whole life. And, you know, literally, (laughs) it's so like typical, but I'm like having family meal at this, you know, pretty nice restaurant in California. And the chef and the kitchen manager are there midday getting ready. They're going over their schedule and, you know, the, the chef and him are just saying, well, 
you know, this guy walked out on us. This one got arrested. This one's not working out. And they're just totally trying to figure out their schedule. And I just threw my hat in the ring. I'm eating a turkey sandwich. They don't know who I am. I'm just like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Do you have room for me? I'll give it a go. And uh, they looked at each other. And I, I got onto the salad station. And off we went. So awesome. I just wanted to, I wanted to try it. And then each step of the way, I was pretty good at it. And then kind of, and then after a while, momentum took over and I wanted to get serious about it. So that's, that's kind of what led to that. But it's a very like, it's a very unglamorous um, way to get here. I'm kind of proud of that, you know, but um, yeah, there, there was no moments of total enlightenment and I, it wasn't like, you know, a family thing. It just was me kind of going out on my own and following my instincts. Yeah, I kind of followed the same route. I mean, my grandfather was a cook in the Navy. Um, and there was definitely a lot of culinary influence when I was a kid growing up. But like my high school job was uh, Wendy's. I worked at Wendy's in high school. And even then, <laughs> I didn't see myself working in a kitchen until a Votech teacher in senior year kind of like changed my whole philosophy on, you know, what I wanted to do with my career. But um, I'm glad that we can relate in the sense that we like didn't know at first, you know, that yeah. we were going to be cooks. So. Yeah, I think that that and, you know, it just comes to you in, in interesting ways and you got to be ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So I guess if you want to go into like your career wise before obviously teaching um, like sure. where you worked, where you learned and everything like that. Um, so those that, you know, I can kind of just carry on with where I started there. So I was at this um, kind of Pacific Rim um, restaurant in California on Coronado Island. Shout out to POEs. It was, it was really great for me. You know, um, they were very busy and everything seemed so fascinating to me. Um, and it, but the cool thing is when I look back at it, um, they had an in-house butcher. They had a really strong HACCP program. They really had a lot, like a really good prep schedule and they, I learned looking back, I feel like I was really in a good place run really well. Mm. And, um, so I, I worked front and back in there and, and, and then that's what I was there for maybe. And I worked my way up, which was pretty cool. And then, and, and all the cooks there were, were really into me, uh, pushing me, you know, I'd have the sous chef quizzing me on mother sauces. I would like, they all were just so interested in being a positive kind of push, uh, in the right direction for me. And then I went to this, and then I decided to go to school. Um, so I moved back East to come to the culinary. There was a gap of time before my start date. So, uh, my family was living in New Jersey. I, I checked up back with them for probably about three months. And I worked in, um, Hoboken at a, what turned out to be a really great experience for me. I worked on the, I worked, I totally lied and said that I had worked grill previous job just so I can get the job. And, um, I, I kind of knew the owner a little bit. So he's like, all right, I'll take a chance on you. No big deal. And, um, I had not worked on the grill at all. And, uh, I had watched and I had checked it out, but I had not really actually worked it. So I worked at this place for three months and, and everything was made in house and all the fabricating was done in house. And it, it proved to be awesome going into school, like um, getting my hands on real produce and, and fabricating at the time swordfish and tuna. And, you know, it was awesome. So it, were, it was perfect way. Uh, and it, it was just great. And then Chef um, Francis uh, Falvini was 
a mentor of mine for sure in my early career. And I went to school and then uh, did real well here and enjoyed it a lot. And then um, I took what it was called a fellowship, but it's now an MIT position okay. at, at Katerina, which was pretty spank, brand spanking new. It was definitely the restaurant to be in. And I uh, worked for Chef Lapuma. I was his, uh, I was his MIT. Right. Stayed in the area. Worked at a great restaurant called Mina for two CI grads. It was a tiny place. We were doing some really amazing food. She ended up being featured in, at the James Beard House, and I went down with her for that. I was her sous chef, and um, really tight knit restaurant. Um, kind of ahead of its time no question you know we weren't wearing chef whites it was just like you know it's it's kind of like a lot of the restaurants in brooklyn these days you know and but yeah. you know big chips on our shoulders and something to prove but we wanted to do it our way and put out great food without pretension and and um it was a really nice moment we were there i was there for about four years and uh you know obviously super localized purchasing and you know, very seasonal weekly. We would do weekly menus. We'd sit down on Sundays and figure out what we we're going to make the next week. And, um, real, you know, just, just great, you know? And then, um, and what was got, the year around like when you're doing the seasonal menus, what year was that? So that was 2004. Okay. And so that like, was, how was that received back then? Like in 2004? Oh yeah. I mean, that was, that was, I mean, Alice Waters is, on top of the world at that point mm -hmm. and Chez Panisse is really revered and farm to table cooking was, was, you know, the, the thing, no question. Okay. And it was before molecular really started to even be a thing. Um, there was, you know, it was starting to happen around that mm -hmm. time, but uh, it was received very well. And in this area in Hudson Valley, I mean, the, the, the public, um, especially that was Northern Duchess, so there's a lot of farmland up there. Um, yeah, they they took to it really well. And like, who was I guess like for when I was in school, the biggest name among chefs for like how I noticed was Renee Red Zeppi with Nordic Cuisine. Was Alice Waters kind of in that role at the time, or was there another chef kind of leading the charge on it all for farm to table? Yeah. Um. Now I got to dust off my memory and see who I was really into. You know, Daniel Belude was absolutely, I think, relevant. He's been able to straddle this line of, of, you know, it's farm to table without having to claim it. You know, it's all market driven um, menus that he, he owns this space of both being traditional and totally of the moment. So mm -hmm. we followed him quite a bit. We liked him quite a bit. Um, you know, Alice for me was was real prime. Who else was who was was I really following? We'll have to circle back to that. My old age. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. It's just interesting to me because to kind of see how like the farm to table movement, you know, got its roots roots with Alice Waters, but even back then, like how like I was seven at the time, and yeah. how like prevalent it was. And now we're getting into more like chefs who forage and whatnot. So just trying to get a gauge on what it was like back in 2004. Okay. 2010. Well, I can tell you this, that the Hudson Valley has, you know, by the time I'm doing it in 2003, 2004 and so on, you know, I'm like the, 
I felt like the fifth generation of chefs cooking this way. You know, in the Hudson Valley, pretty much all the chefs I know, they all forage. This is not like something that's uniquely me. You know, I, I, I was really into it and I definitely pushed myself to, you know, to really make sure it was part of my menus. But, you know, you go far back to John Noby at the Dupuis Canal House and then everybody in between, you know, the Hudson Valley just has a long pedigree of chefs who cook in that style. So, and, um, you know, and, and chef Waldy Maloof who oversees restaurant operations, you know, Mm -hmm. he was down in the city, but he was touting what was going on in Hudson Valley for a long time. So it's been going on here for a while. Okay, great. Yeah, Austin, if you just want to get back into your career, sorry for the sidetrack. No, that's okay. No, I think that that's way more important than just me rattling off all this stuff. But but I stayed in Hudson Valley. That's what it comes down to. I got my first executive chef position, um, I, I don't know, maybe around two, 2007-ish. Okay. 2008. I'm not giant with dates. I just kind of look forward all the time. I don't look back too much. But – um. I was there. It was at the Madeline um, Hotel, which is in Tivoli, New York. It was a startup. And these two guys renovated what was an old local haunt, which had awesome stories to it. And it and, you know, I really got to know a lot of people through the stories they would tell about, you know, getting sold underage beverages there as a kid. And they would you know tell me all about it. And so I took over there and I was there for about four years. And that was really precious because I was able to finally cook in a way without any obstruction. Like I, I, if like I wanted to do it, I would do it. And, um, that was a pretty, you know, it's like lightning in a bottle. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, that was, again, that was, that was bigger than Mina. So I couldn't change it weekly, but I did okay. change it really, really often. And, um, I had a lot of menus and I did a lot of, I didn't really repeat myself too much. I was, when I look back at, at, at the amount of work I put into trying to, trying to give the customers like something new all the time, uh, I was really into that. I'm, so I'm pretty proud of that. And then I went to a short stint at the Rhinecliffe Hotel, which okay. um, I would say, I would say that I learned the most about myself and about what it is I want out of this business from there, but I wouldn't exactly consider it um, a high point in my career. I, okay. not, not, and it was more for things left that were a bit out of my control. Um, beautiful place, certainly a lot of nice people associated with it. Um, and I definitely learned my lessons and I, I grew up a lot there. Um, and then the last place before the school was running as a general manager. I was running... Um, our daily bread up in Chatham, New York, okay. which they've they've always had a a green market presence with with um, bakery items, but they were expanding to have a kind of Middle Eastern cafe slash New York deli experience there, and um, I came on board there to help them open, and then I ended up staying there and running their business for about four years previous to school. So that pretty much sums it up in terms of um, the major the major points of my career. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what got you – so I mean, we kind of touched upon it, but, like, so when you started getting into foraging, like, I guess how do you get into foraging? Because for me, like, I 
there, like I've never been foraging. I'd love to go at some point, but like I've, I automatically have this fear that I'm gonna get like the wrong mushroom or like the wrong plan, like you know, hurt my body in some way. So like, how did you kind of get into that? I mean, that fear definitely is a good thing that keeps you honest, and that fear, I think. That fear informs you. And the moment that you're not fearful, I think that that's when you can get sloppy and something bad can happen. So I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the school had a mycologist come and do a slideshow, and then they were going. We we did a group walk looking for morels, and um, I had never mushroom foraged either. I was outside almost my whole life, and you know from the moment I was a little kid, I always had a field guide and I was always tooling around looking at different things, but I had never specifically been taught how to forage. So that was my first introduction formally. And then after that, um, my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend, uh, she and I would just go out all the time and we just self-taught. Awesome. You know, and it's really difficult to get a, a forager to mentor you. I will have to say that because um, we can be kind of cagey and hard to pin down. And, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of, it's, it's kind of the way it goes, but, um, so you kind of have to do a certain degree of self, of self teaching, which these days with the internet is a little bit easier, even though it's, you know, there, there's still a lot of bad information on the internet. Um, it, it does make things a little bit easier. Awesome. And what are, I guess if someone wants to get into foraging, what are just some go-to books or sites or references i mean obviously some, do, having someone who's done it is the best resource but like if they wanted to kind of get a little more information before going out yeah i mean i think that the first one is to go for long walks and pay attention to small things you know and 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 slow down and um that sounds pretty trite but it's true i mean that's what it is that you're doing and then along the way you may find some things that are curious and maybe you can do something with them, but maybe you won't. There's plenty of times where you come home with nothing. Um, mm -hmm. It went through the IDing process. You're basically always cross-referencing. So you have, you mean, I have about four or five books, and then I go to websites, and then, um, you know, there's like a whole slew of like detective work that you have to do when you're learning about a new mesh mushroom. And once it becomes part of your repertoire, then what you're really doing is just verifying at that point but in the beginning when you're learning for the first time um, the audubon has a, a very good book um demystifying mushrooms is another one there's a couple of ones specific to the northeast which are good um steve brill is a longtime um, forager who started in uh, bringing out people out to <laughs> central park and showing them around and um, and he was, he was really, he's like, he kind of was the OG. He was, he was taking people out in the eighties into central park and showing them how to eat dandelion greens and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and early in my career, I definitely was, was citing him a lot. Um, yeah. Antonio Carluccio, there's a, there's a lot of great, um, foragers. So what you end up doing is having a couple of different books because what happens is a lot of these books have there the photos can be really really wide ranging and so when you're doing a visual id on on a mushroom you know if they had to flash on if they had to flash off was it dark when they took it, it you know the, the coloring on the mushrooms and, and then just you know the stages that the mushrooms were picked so mm -hmm. after cross-reference because 
what you have in your hand may not look at all with what it, you're reading in the book, but what you're reading in the book with the narrative fits it exactly. So, okay. you know, some books have great photos, some don't, but good narrative, and it ends up being kind of a collection of all of them. So, um, so it's a bit of a process when you're first learning mushrooms, but I think that that is a healthy and good process. It keeps you alive. Okay. And um, I guess my other question for uh, like history-wise, so for me, like, obviously, I didn't know about this stuff until I got to the CIA. Uh, was there a time where foraging like, really took off in your eyes, or was it always something that was there, and I just started noticing it because I got more into cooking? Or I think that it was always there, but I think that, like everything, um, social media has amplified its um, presence. I mean, I do, I do think, I mean, that's what social media does. It's an amplifier and people who are really into niche ideas and like very specific uh, passions, they can find each other easier than they ever could before. And um, I do think it's become more popular because of that. Um, it seems like it's on people's minds a lot more now than before, but okay. But it's kind of hard to judge, to be honest with you. I feel like the same number of people who are really avid foragers who actually spend a lot of time in the woods, I feel like it's probably the same number. I just think a lot more people know about it now, though. Okay. And I guess where do you see foraging going in the next 10 years? Like, should, like, should cooks have more of a knowledge of it? Or like, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I think that – I think I, I feel conflicted about it. Um. It's a finite resource. You know, some of these, some of these items take a long time to come to maturity. Um, you know, ramps take a long time to come to maturity and to come mm. and just, you personally might not be picking a lot of ramps, but if more people are into them then just collectively, the collective love for that becomes, you know, a concern. Mm -hmm. It's even changed the way that I forage. I forage now with a much smaller footprint even though I, you know, I, I feel like I do, I handle myself correctly with all of it. I still try to pick even less now, just okay. knowing that so many more people are into it. Um, so, but the, but the positive thing is I think that the American sensibility of is, is maturing and we you know, we, we have to become a little bit more thrifty with how it is that we feed ourselves. It's not about, you know, this land is not about a land of abundance anymore. It's, it, it's, it's getting a little crowded and, and things are getting expensive and sustainability becomes an issue and, and, you know, input farming becomes an issue and all that might not be directly related to foraging, but it kind of is, you know, trying mm -hmm. to, trying to feed yourself or supply a restaurant with a smaller footprint. Foraging seems like a great answer for that. Um, okay. And so I think that, in the next 10 years, I think that it proliferates a little bit, um, but hopefully, hopefully with some respect to, you know, what could be done. Right. And, what are your, you know, Chef's like, be like, you know, like kind of opening the eyes for me and a lot of other people on like how in-depth foraging can go. And he's definitely had uh, fermentation in the last year releasing his book, like what are your thoughts on where the food scene as a whole is going with these more like, I guess, classic ways of preserving food or going about getting food? Well, it's really cool. I mean, obviously, I mean, I really, um, I, I 
love watching what Rene Rezepi is doing and, and his whole team. And yeah, the book is great. And, you know, Virgilio Martinez down in Peru mm-hmm. and these foreign chefs, of course, I have a, fin- I have an affinity to that. I feel like that they, they encapsulate how I see, you know, the, what I like about being a chef, they've been able to take it to great heights and it's awesome to watch. But I think so what's, what also has gone on is that um, what's considered fine dining anymore is really kind of broadened in a massive way. Okay. That's great. You know, it's not necessarily about how much money you spend on the toilet anymore. It's, it's like, you know, keeping, keeping the food as, uh, and, the, and the sense of hospitality the central issue. And that's great. I think that that's, that's excellent. I also think that it's pretty interesting study on how we still kind of live in the shadow of El Bulli. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of chefs now who are on the top of their game who, are, who spent time at El Bulli or were directly impacted by the work of El Bulli. But what's gone on is that, that I think is really cool is this evolution of the technique. You know, some, I mean, I never ate at El Bulli. And I think that what was going on there was, you know, mind-blowing. But but it was specifically special. It feels like only at that space. Yeah. You know? And what's gone on now is these techniques have now proliferated into everybody's culture and they're interpreting their, you know, indigenous ingredients with these new techniques. And it feels like these new techniques now have a little bit of soul. And believe me, that is not meant to slight what was going to El Bulli. It's not, what I mean, but it had a very scientific angle to it, you know, and, and it was, it was bloody, you know, bleeding edge um, food creation that was going on there. And now it, it kind of, now that it's been around a little bit, now people are, have been playing with the technique so much. Now it becomes more nuanced and, and everybody's able to interpret, you know, lichen and acorns and, you know, their regional potatoes and all their regional stuff, they're able to interpret it with this new technique. So I think that that's right. also going on too. So it'll be interesting to see like how long, how long that lasts for and then what's, you know, what's around the corner. Awesome. Uh, and so like, what is a uh, one food trend you don't like going on right now? It can be like, you know, a funny food trend or just like something like you seriously see wrong with the food scene right now. But like, what is a food trend that bothers you? Uh, I don't know if bother is the right word. I feel like maybe I just don't, I, I don't personally connect to, you know, Funfetti and unicorn um, beverages. It doesn't, speak, it doesn't speak to me. I don't think it's, I don't think it's meant to speak to me. I mean, I get that it's, you know, fun, but um, I don't know. I, I guess that one comes to mind. It seems a little, okay. it seems a little silly, but I guess that's the whole idea. Um. All right, so getting away from foraging and whatnot, I wanted to go into you as as a culinary instructor because, you know, going to the CIA, uh, especially when you first get there, you know, chefs are like these, you know, you you all have so much knowledge and there's only so much you can get out of each class. So that's why you look forward to going to class the next day. At least that's how it was for me. Yeah. And, you know, for me, a large part of culinary school was trying to get as much out of each chef as I could in terms of, knowledge of cooking but also advice for the future and whatnot so i guess how did you get into like teaching and like how did you 
kind of like for me like i at some point would love to teach in some capacity you know as i find myself loving the industry more and more and the people in it uh, obviously i need a lot more experience before i can start giving any knowledge away to anyone but uh, how did you get like the courage to go ahead and start teaching because like i i feel like i'd be kind of uncomfortable with it because now i'm starting to shape someone else's view of the food industry um I think that chefs, the role of a chef in business is that you are teaching all the time. You're always training and you're always teaching. And you're always looking at outcomes and you're looking to see, like, how did that training go? Did I hire the right person? Did I not hire the right person? Where did it go right? Where did it go wrong? And, you know, you're always kind of overseeing a system and you're trying to make sure that you get what you're looking for out of that system. So... Because you do that as a lifestyle all the time, besides just the creation of dishes, I feel like chefs are naturally pretty good teachers. I think that, I mean, I personally have always had an affinity to it. And I think I, I look back now and I see that there's a lot of teachers in my family. I didn't really notice that until I became one. But um, yeah, it's apparent that that kind of is in my family a little bit. But um, I don't know about courage. I think that I always had it on my radar as something I might want to do. Mm-hmm. And each year or each transitional point in my life, if I, you know, say, you know, one of the, one of the positions I was holding was kind of coming to an end, I would look and say, is now the right time? And more times than not, I would say no. I feel like I had still had something to prove for myself in the industry. You know, and then it literally just became a moment where I ran into somebody who works here and they, and, and I would run into them enough that they would ask, you know, are you ready? Do you want, do you want to come? And I would always be like, no, not yet. But this time the same question was asked and my answer this time was like, yeah, I think I'm ready. You know, I think I, I think I have something, I have something I can bring to the table. So it's kind of one of those things that until you really hit that moment, I agree with you. There's this moment of like, you know, what, what do you really have to say? What, what do you really have to teach? And, you know, what benefit would somebody have to be taught by you? And I would ask those questions and I never came up with great answers until it was time. And then when I did, you know, I did. And, and uh, it's a big transition going from be, from running a business to, um, to being in an educational environment, but I like it a lot. It's great. Awesome. And obviously like, you know, being like the teacher American Bounty, there still is that restaurant. But even so it's different than actually running a restaurant because at some point you have to give a lecture and you're, you know, teaching students. So how do you prepare for a class? I tend to be pretty diligent. I tend to, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm up, I try to be very, very organized with my work and um, do my homework. I mean, I, I really try, I, I really do do my homework. So for example, you know, yeah, you're right. With American Bounty, I feel, first off, I feel so lucky to be able to run. A, I still get to run a restaurant and teach. I'm like, I get the best of both worlds, really. I feel that way. And mm-hmm. uh, and I'm cooking the cuisine that I'm the most comfortable with and that I like. And so that's that's awesome. The preparation for me is such a complex thing. Like um, I have cer- certain lecture topics that I need to cover. 
Some of them come more naturally to me and others require more in-depth work. You know, for instance, I have several days of lecture where we're talking about American history and, and kind of like how did American cuisine come about? You know, I, I certainly am alert to American history and I've been paying attention to the food scene. But to be able to teach that effectively, I've had to do a lot of background research to get my facts straight and have a good flow and make sure that I'm hitting the real important points. And that one is a very fun one to teach because it's multiple days and you build on the next one. And, and it's we start by saying America is a melting pot and we end by saying America is a melting pot. But the goal is to have it more content to that final answer than the first one. Yeah. Um, that one is one that I still, to this day, I am always researching old cookbooks. I'm always researching American history. Uh, my free time, I spend um, getting stronger and better at that stuff. So um, I would say that I just put the time in. That's how I approach everything about my class. Awesome. And when did you start teaching? I started two years ago um, this January. So okay. Great. And uh, so how... Obviously, compared from when you went to school to now, with social media and, you know, ability to get information so much quicker, do you find that, like, the students you're teaching are, like, more knowledgeable of food or, like, from when you went to college or, like, is it kind of the same level of, you know, them learning and kind of learning new things through you? Well, I'm not going to let you trap me into generational warfare, Ray. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. No, I mean, it's hard because when I was a student – you know, I, I have such a very specific memory of the people who are around me and who I was working with, but I wouldn't say that that's very broad, you know, like I had a stream of people I went through college, you know, through school with just like you mm -hmm. to know them very, very well, but I couldn't say I know about how everybody else was doing and what they were like. But, okay. So I have kind of, it's kind of difficult to be accurate with it, but mm -hmm. I will say that, um, I feel like the motivations to come to culinary school are definitely a lot different now than before. You know, there's, there's the food business has a lot more personalities and, and they are not all traditionally chefs. Whereas there was a lot of personalities with me too, but they were all chefs that turned into personalities or many of them were. Okay. So, when you went to school here, you kind of just, yeah, I mean, you certainly could be going for a sommelier and there's, there's certainly a lot of, you know, derivatives of, you know, what your career could turn into after school. Um, but for the most part, it still was very much chef driven. And so that has changed a bit. And I think sometimes I worry that maybe, maybe the student body is, it doesn't have a, a real affinity for spending some time in the kitchen. Okay. Or at least seeing the value of it. I mean, and, and there is a lot of value of it, but, um, mm -hmm. but I'm an open-minded person, you know, I mean, if there's another opportunity, if somebody's going to present an opportunity to you and you know, you, it has nothing to do with slaving away in a kitchen and beating yourself into the ground. That's a pretty enticing situation. And I can appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you. And I guess, uh, what, uh, what have you learned the most from teaching students or teaching young chefs? 
Um, I suppose I've just, uh, what have I learned from teaching? I learn pretty much every day. There's no question. And I know, once again, that sounds very trite, but it's true. And I think that's because I allow myself to, to learn. I, I, I approach it that way. Okay. Uh, I would say that I would say I'm not sure I learn a lot, but I definitely stay young. <laughs> and, I, and, it's, and it's nice being around people who are really driven to make a difference for themselves. And also there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, uh, an ac ac activist kind of thread that goes through the student body right now. Mm. That matters a lot to current students. And I won't say that I learned about that, but it's pushed me to learn more about those subjects so I can kind of be of service to them. So it's an indirect answer, but that's kind of true. So I, I kind of look and see what the students need. And then I try to make sure that I'm prepared to give it to them if it's something that I should. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. It was, I mean, obviously, I never actually got to have you as a teacher, but when I started the community garden, you did help a lot with you know, just supporting being there and, you know, helping us. I remember like when we first planted our crops, we were there on day one and just having a chef support, you know, meant a lot to me and the people involved with the garden. So I guess a thank you to you for, you know, being on top of what the student body wants and needs and, you know, just putting that extra effort in. So yeah, yeah that's I mean, not saying chefs have done that, but now that I'm talking to you, just a general thank you for that. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you definitely represented, the kind of student that saw it for what it was. You had a lot of opportunities and, and I could tell that you were like, well, you know, it just wasn't lost on you. You, you really wanted to get the most out of your experience here and you were very organized and, um, and you're a good leader. You know, you, you, I, I really saw that you're right. You never came to my class, but I saw the way that you handled your business and, and uh, what's not to like about that. So even if it means that I'm coming and raking up mounds and that's my support, then good enough for me well thank you and i'm glad that i look organized because i often feel that i'm one of the least organized people i know <laughs> so well i mean that's the way it goes you know mm -hmm. it is the way it goes sometimes you only need to be one day smarter than everybody yeah that's a good way of looking at it um and who are some mentors or who's a mentor i guess i mean you kind of shared on your instagram so i guess i'd like to talk about how what that person meant to you but some mentors like teaching wise that you've drawn from? When I first took the job, I was trying, you know, you ask yourself, or I asked myself, like, who do I want to be? You know, who, you know, I'm, I am who I am, but, you know, I, I've had so many teachers that were helpful to me and, and formative to me. Like, what role did I want to play in the students' lives? And um, I had Chef Brash was you know, he's a mentor to everybody, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was special or anything. He just was a very positive guy. And I knew, I knew that the comfort that he created for, for students uh, was important. And so that was one person who informed me. And it's like the devil, the devil and the angel, right? Like chef La Puma also informed me, like he really has high expectations for the students and, and he wants them ready like he wants them ready for for their careers and to, he wants to prove he wants to see that they can prove to themselves that they're tough that they yeah. can face you know adversity and 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 get there and work through it 
And I think that that's important too. So I think I straddle the line of like trying to um, follow some of these people. And I have a lot of, I basically looked up to everybody who was a chef here in one way or the other. And then of course, you know, um, I have the, I have the chefs I worked for directly who all shaped me. And then, and then you have your, your heroes, like everybody does. And you kind of like, you have a very idealistic idea of what it is like to be with them. I didn't necessarily work for Alice Waters, but I liked her, I liked her sensibility. Um, so, you know, all these things helped shape how it is that I wanted to approach my teaching. Awesome. Um, and so I guess what is some advice you can give someone maybe who is in culinary school or starting culinary school to set themselves up for success? Um, I think that I wake up, I can only, I can only approach that question with the same way that I approach my own life. And I, I really believe that nobody, nobody wakes up thinking what they're going to do for me. You know, I have to, I have to earn that. I have to, sometimes you got to grab it and sometimes you got to earn it, but no matter what, you got to work for it, you know? And, um, I, I see it that way. So I try to be very organized. I try to be diligent. I try to be respectful. And I think all those things have worked well for me. And I think that they could work well for students. You know, if you have assignments that you're not in love with, you shouldn't really pick and choose you know, how, how much effort you give based on that. Mm. You know, all the way through, if your name is next to it, it's good, strong work. And, you know, it, it comes in time that you get to pick and choose what you love. But if something is put in front of you, you got to make sure that it's strong work. So, you know, be professional, be mature, be, you know, do your due diligence and, and, you know, treat people well. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. And what is, what is one message that you hope uh, students take away from your class or maybe like when they graduate? I guess uh, for my class, I hope that we get a chance to talk about like what, um, what's good food, you know, what's American food. Um, I try to introduce them to uh, new ingredients that are right in front of their noses and they didn't even know it. And, um, and also just what a well-run kitchen should feel like, you know, um, that it doesn't necessarily need to be a lot of drama and a lot of yelling to get the best out of yourself and to get the best work forward that you can do it in other ways. So I try to, I definitely try to run a kitchen that way. I think from the school, um, I think there's a, there's, I mean, there's a lot of layers to that, but I hope that it's, that there's a certain enthusiasm to this business. I mean, this is a, this is a business that is very hard, but we're in the business of giving, um, uh, maybe an optimistic outlook on life sometimes. Sometimes that can be hard, but when people come to eat at your restaurant, there is a a certain experience that you have to evoke. And, you know, if it's daunted and, and if it's just focused on the tasks and you're not really focused on the bigger picture and you can't express a sort of optimism or sense of place, then, you know, your customers kind of pick up on that. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping, hoping that, the enthusiasm that everybody had when they first start school 
I hope that it's still there. It's just more informed. And um, I do, because you need it. You need it. it. It is a tough business. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. But mm. you, you can't get so embattled and bogged down with all the hard knocks that life gives you that you forget, you know, the positive stuff too. So I hope the school kind of fosters this sense of optimism too. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt that, um, you know, the school helped me with that because for me upon graduating, um, I went back to Buffalo and I was working in a kitchen trying to figure out where I wanted to go next. And a series of life events happened that really like, you know, brought me down and, it was in that moment that I was like, all right, like, what did I find interesting at school? Like, what did, like, what did I gain at school? Like hobby wise or like what I'm interested in food that can kind of respark, you know, my want to work hard every day. And I don't think if I didn't have those resources, I don't know how, if I would have even started something like this or, you know, kind of gone the way I've gone. So, you know, definitely, like I said, people like you and, you know, a lot of chefs at school really help young culinarians kind of find what they're interested in so that later in life they can kind of fall back on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that you hit it perfect. I mean, in some ways, sometimes I think I'm planning, I really am planting a bunch of seeds that hopefully have some value during those tougher moments. You know, I kind mm -hmm. of, I, think I, I gave you a quote and I was alluding to that, you know, a lot of the chefs here, they really want you to be prepared and want, you know, some of the ways to prepare you is to kind of toughen you up and, you know, you can take your knocks and you, know, you can take criticism well, but still, you know, plug away forward. And I agree definitely with all that. But there's also this side of you, you kind of at some point in this career have to fall in love. Like, and I mean that, like, you, like if you don't fall a little bit in love with what you're doing, you're going to hit a point and be like, well, why am I even here in the first place? Like mm -hmm. what even brought me here? You know, like if you can't say at some point in your career that like, ah, oh, that was the, that was where it was at. That was like the collection of awesome people, awesome food. Like it finally what I was looking for, I found it there. You know, you can't get it at every single place that you're at and you can't have it every moment. But I hope, you know, you can have it at some point. Bounty mm -hmm. a little bit less everyone to you know, handle themselves professionally and carry their, their duties out as students. But I also want to start to see that they're starting to like it. You know, that they like cooking, you know, and they, and they like rising to the occasion and that gratification. I do think, I think that that's really important because you will draw upon it during tougher times and, and it will guide you as you make bigger choices. Okay. Great. And, uh, my last question for you is what does it mean to be a part of the line cook nation uh, to be a part of, I guess, a group of cooks or food service people who want to connect with each other, support each other and kind of spread this positive message across the industry. Oh, it's awesome. You know, the work that you're doing and the vision that you have for this, I think that it's a long time coming. And that's why I was, I showed no hesitation at all to, um, to coming on. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think that it is really, really tough work. And it, sometimes you feel really alienated because, you know, don't let my optimism sugarcoat the, you know, 100-hour weeks that I was doing and how malnourished I felt and, like, how, <laughs> like, beat up. And, and, you know, I got the scars to prove it. But I – but and I, I didn't really – I would say for sure, I never really felt like 
I had um, a collection of people who I was connecting with in the moment that could have made that better. Yeah. And I think what you offer, I think it's great. I think that um, we all need it. You know, we all need it. We may not need it every day, but at, at some point, we all kind of need our tank filled a little bit. And I think that I'm happy and proud that you asked me and I'm happy to help you along the way, whatever I can do. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I think you had a good point that you don't, you know, you might not need it every day. And for me, like I post daily, uh, everyone's quotes as you know, as much as I can without oversaturating my Instagram. Um, because obviously there is a point where it's too much, but I realize that not all, not everyone's coming to my page every day, but there are messages where I've gotten where it's like, Hey, today it was rough. And I came here and looked at some quotes and, you know, it really picked me back up. And I'm just surprised like no one's ever done this before. So it, it really is special to have people like you believe in me and yeah, just, you know, thank you for coming on and kind of sharing your story and your thoughts. Well, listen, the line cooks literally are the lifeblood of our industry. It's the hardest work, but it's also the one part of your career that you're going to look back on with such awesome reverence because, because it is so hard and so challenging and not everyone it's cut out is cut out mm -hmm. for it. And there's like a certain pride you feel when you have overcome, um, when you've overcome that and you start to figure it out. I drove home many, many nights as a, as a young line cook, like sincerely questioning, like, what am I doing? Cause today was a mm -hmm. mess. What yesterday was so good, and what happened today? Yeah. So, you know, only thing I can say to everybody in the line cook nation is, you know, you gotta take your licks. You wake up the next day, you go back at it, try to be a better version of yourself, and I think that that's that's kind of how you do it for a while. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on, and you know, I'm excited to put this out there for everyone. Happy to do it, yeah, Ray. I'll talk to you later, chef. Okay. Just a reminder that we are going to be doing a podcast project, sending in thoughts uh, to Chef Kaywick's family. Uh, so if you'd like to share just how much of an impact he had or the impact he had on you, please email natalierudd at yahoo.com or allisongannon11 at gmail.com or linecookthoughtsoutlook.com. I'll put all of that into the show notes. Thank you all for listening. Um, I hope you all are doing well. I know this was so tremendously hard um, and just, you know, if anyone needs to talk, feel free to message me or message Natalie or Allison and just be open to talking about it if you can and know that like you don't have to go through this alone. We're all here. We're all a community and we were all impacted, impacted by Chef K work in some way. And I know I've just found some peace in, sharing, you know, the impact he had on me and just seeing the impact he had on everyone else really is just inspiring. And it shows me at least that he's someone to aspire to be. So don't be afraid to chat. Don't be afraid to talk about it. And like I said, Chef K-Work, rest in peace. And just thank you for everything you contributed to the food industry. You will be greatly missed.